The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. You have your Bibles or your apps, would you open them or turn them on to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, we'll be beginning in verse 36 this morning. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. I appreciate all the phone calls, text messages, emails, Facebook's about concern for my health after Bluebell was found to be contaminated. <laughs> I bet I got dozens of those. That's great. Uh, it was not the, it was something on a stick or something. I don't do that. I just do the real deal. So uh, you don't have to worry about me. I'm in good health as far as that concern. So we're in business. Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas was desirous of taking John, called Mark, along with him also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take along him who had deserted them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed to the brethren, to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And I've entitled this message, really? Really? You're going to divide and go your separate ways over this. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Really? Father, as we look at the word together. Teach us and change us. Help us not to be merely hearers, but doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Conflicts, disagreements, arguments. They happen between friends. They happen between godly brothers and sisters. To your surprise, you might find that they even happen in marriage once in a while. I mean, they happen across the board. They happen in marriage. I love the story of the couple who've been married for 30 years. They were celebrating their 60th birthdays within the same month. And the celebrate, during the celebration, a fairy appeared to them and said, since you are now 60 and you've been married 30 years and love one another, I'll give you each one wish. And the wife said, uh, as she was thinking about it, she said, I would love to travel on a cruise around the world. Boom. And uh, the fairy waved her magic wand. Boom. She had two tickets in her hand on a worldwide cruise, round the world cruise. The husband was kind of shy. He kind of kicked the dirt and uh, he, he said, well, I'd like to have a wife 30 years younger than me. Boom. He was 90 years old. <laughs> Disagreements, arguments, conflict in marriage. It happens, doesn't it? It happens. It happens between friends. It even happens between godly men and women. This is the seasoned apostle Paul, the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament, and the guy who would be on the seashore with the elders from Ephesus weeping because he's leaving. And Barnabas, whose nickname was the son of what? Encouragement. Barnabas, the son of a In fact, when Paul had gone missing because he was on study leave, so to speak, after he first came to Christ, it was Barnabas who went and found the Apostle Paul. They had gone on the first missionary journey together. They, they had seen many Gentiles come to faith in Christ. They had weathered the Jerusalem Council where they hammered out the doctrine of the church. They had undergone all these things together, close friends, traveling companions, missionary journeys, revival of Gentiles, and now all of a sudden they're going to pack it up, head on the second missionary journey, 
and they go their separate ways. They have a conflict, they have division, they have disagreement, and they head in different directions. As they're packing their bags for a return trip to check on the churches, there was some leftover baggage that had obviously not been dealt with from the first journey. And when the baggage came to light, we learned that even godly men have disagreements, and those disagreements resulted in division. Contention between brothers. Well, the cause of the contention is evident. I mean, you just read it, I've read it, you know the story. Uh, The cause of contention, actually, they had noble intentions that brought about this contention. They had noble intentions. If you look at verse 36, their intention is noble. They need to go back and strengthen the churches. They need to do a follow-up mission. They've planted churches. They need to know how the churches are doing. They need to build into the life of those churches. By the way, following up new believers, young believers, churches are planted is a wise thing. It's a good thing. We even take part of our missions philosophy from this section where we go back to places we have been over and over and over again. Pavel, the pastor of our sister church in Ukraine, said TBC is different because you keep coming back. You keep coming back. And so we see Paul is saying, we need to go back and strengthen the churches. We've got new believers. We've got young believers that need to be strengthened. Let's go back. Barnabas says it's a good thing. And so their, their intentions were noble. Their intentions were good. But out of those good intentions came contention. For some unknown reason, John Mark had not finished the first missionary journey. He went back home. This had irked Paul. Why did John Mark return home? We don't know. Scriptures don't tell us. Maybe he missed mama. Maybe the persecution was too tough. Maybe he had a honey back home and he wanted to go see her. Uh, We don't know. We have no idea. All we know is that he deserted them and Paul was pretty irked about the whole thing. He's deserted us and Pamphylia did not go with us to complete the work. So it's time for the second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas get together. Passports, check. Walking sandals, check. Money, check. Tent making tools, check. Extra toga, check. Stone proof vest, check. John Mark, whoa, says Paul. Well, what do you mean John Mark, Barnabas? John Mark, he's coming with us. I invited him, Paul. Uh, he's not welcome, Barnabas. Paul invited John Mark to come. No way he's coming. Why not? Why not? He ditched us the first time. He'll do it again. Uh, Paul, everybody fails. Uh, I've been working with him for the last year. It's been a year since the missionary journey. Uh, Paul, I've been spending time with him. He's grown. He's a new man. He'll stick it out this time. Barnabas, I love the fact that you encourage other people. I love the fact that you want to do this, but we've got a mission to do, and we can't let him stop that mission. Paul, if he's not going, I'm not going. Fine. 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 I'll take Silas and I'll make history. I'll take John Mark and I'll go to Cyprus. Fine. Fine. I'm gone. Probably not exactly how it happened, but that's a modern day version. I mean, that's a modern-day version of what took place. I mean, you've got two dear godly brothers, Barnabas, a son of encouragement, and Paul, the seasoned apostle, and they look at one another, and we're not exactly sure how it went down, but there's some clues to what happened. Look at verse 38. It says in verse 38, but Paul kept insisting. You write in your Bibles, underline the word kept insisting. Paul kept insisting. This was not a one-time Barnabas said, hey, Paul, you mind if John Mark comes? And Paul says, no. And they said, okay, I'll go a different way. Uh, that's not what happened here. Uh, this is over and over. This is present tense. Barnabas say, no, he's coming. And Paul says, no, he's not. No, he is. No, he's not. No, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. And this kept going on. It's, it's like a kid wanting something. Daddy, may I? Guy, Grandpa, can I? Can I? Can I? And you go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Or it's spring break and they're in the backseat. He touched me. 
did not, did two, did not, did two, did not, did two. If you don't be quiet back there, I'm going to, yeah, fill in that blank. I, I love the story of the, uh, the young boy who kept acting up in church. The dad finally said, if you say one more word, I'm going to take you out and spank you. And the kid acted up again. The dad put him under his arms, headed out to the back door. When they got to the back door, dad pushed it open. The kid turned around and screamed to the congregation, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. I mean, this is a mess. This is a mess. The character of the contention is, 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 I mean, these guys are exploding. We're we're, we're not talking about some mild argument here, a disagreement here. We're talking about an eruption. We're talking about an explosion here. Where do I get that? Well, if you look at verse 39, it says, there arose such a sharp disagreement. The word for sharp disagreement is the Greek word paroxmus. It means to become irritated or angry, to provoke to wrath. It's used of convulsions that are caused by fever. These guys are having convulsions. I mean, they are face-to-face, nose-to-nose. They're going after it. John Mark is coming. He's okay. No, no, he's not. No, yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Paul, I'm going to go a different way. Then you go. You go. I'm going that way. I'll take Silas with me. You can't sugarcoat this. You can't look at it and say, well, these are just a a little mild disagreement. No, this is an eruption. It's an eruption. By the way, one of the arguments for the authenticity of the scriptures, stuff like this. You see, there are liberal scholars that say, well, really the scriptures were written years later because the church needed some heroes. And so they wrote things about their heroes. If you were writing about your hero, you would not include this. You would include this. One of the arguments for the authenticity of Scripture is you look at the way the Scriptures paint our heroes, paint them warts and all. And that's what we see here. We see Paul and Barnabas, I mean, in the midst of a mess. It's a mess. The character of the contention is explosive. The consequence of the contention, they went different ways. There's division. Division. Did God use it? Yeah, he did. Was it wrong? I think it was. Who was right? Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? We did this in staff this week. So how many of you guys think Paul was right here? A few raise their hands. How many of you think Barnabas is right? A few raise their hand. Mark over here, who leads worship from this side, he says, hey, I wouldn't want to go anywhere with Paul. Paul was tough. Danny over here saying, hey, I've been on mission trips with people who I didn't want to take a second time. So I understand what Paul's doing. And so who's right, Paul or Barnabas? Who would say Paul's right in this situation? Not taking John Mark with him because he deserved him. How many of you would say that? Let me see your hands. Three of you? That's it? We just threw Paul under the New Testament bus. How many of you say, well, Barnabas is right? Wow, we're filled with enablers here. I mean, who's right? Neither one of them. Neither one of them. I I think a few years down the road, when they look back, they're embarrassed. Embarrassed. Did God use it? Yeah, he did. Church history tells us that Barnabas did go to Cyprus, and he went to North Africa. He died at Martyr's death. He took the gospel places. And the New Testament tells us about Paul's second, third missionary journeys. I mean, we, we know that God used both of these men. God can use all things to his good and to his glory. But, but I think when you look at this, it's a mess. I, I think you've got two guys who would look back later and be rather embarrassed about what happened. Because their anger, their pride got in the way 
of what needed to happen. Some would say Paul was right. He was an apostle. Barnabas should have submitted. Some would say Barnabas is right. Barnabas is right. He saw how a person could be redeemed. And Paul was driven in hard at times, but mission is more important than the person. And some would say, no, the, the person is more important than the mission. And I, I look at this and say there should have been compromise somewhere. But the Greek word here means a sharp disagreement. It means literally it's used of somebody who has convulsions because of fever to provoke, to wrath, to provoke, to anger. Let's talk about anger for a couple of minutes. Uh, let's talk means I'm going to talk, you're going to listen. <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a euphemism, isn't it? Preachers say that all the time. Let's talk about anger. Uh, Paul is writing in Galatians chapter 5. He's, right, he's contrasting the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit in that chapter. And he says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And then starting with the next word, enmity right there, he, he begins to talk about issues of anger. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. This is Paul writing. He, he's saying there's a battle going on. It's a battle between the flesh and a battle between the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And he says, uh, basically, if you have a transformed heart you should have a changed life if your heart has been transformed by the gospel and jesus christ is your savior and the spirit of god lives within you your transformed heart should produce a changed life in these deeds of the flesh which were once evident in your life and once characterized who you were these things should be diminishing and the fruit of the spirit should be increasing found in the next section of galatians it says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience goodness kindness gentleness faithfulness and self-control and so paul says if you have a changed heart transformed heart you should have a changed life and he, he specifically says things like outburst of anger disputes dissensions factions these things should be disappearing from your life and things like peace and self-control should be increasing within your life because a transformed heart produces a changed life so conversely if you are that person who has anger as your default mode. If people scurry when you come walking up, if your kids and grandkids don't want to be around you, if you always have to apologize for flying off the handle or speaking hateful, hurtful words, if you are known to have a temper, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. If you have a transformed heart, you should have a changed life, and those things should be diminishing or eradicated from your life. But if you find you're that person who is always spouting off outburst of anger, you're looking at the TV and muttering, dissensions, wherever you go, you create a wake of dissension behind you. Your heart, perhaps, has never been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're that person filled with anger who always has a temper, somebody tell me one time, we call my dad behind his back Mount Vesuvius. He's always erupting. What a legacy. What a legacy. And so we look at this and see two godly men disagree. I think they look back and they were ashamed of that. Let me talk to you men first of all. Men, protect, don't massacre your family with anger. Protect, don't massacre your family with anger. If everybody has to walk on eggshells around daddy, shame on daddy. Shame on you. Or come to know Jesus and have a changed life. Ladies, 
Jim Dobson's organization focused on the family about 10 years ago, did a survey. They asked preteen girls, if you could change one thing about your mother, what would you change? 65% of those girls said, I would change and ask my mother to stop. What do you think, ladies? Yelling at me. Yelling at me. Why do you have to yell? Why do you have to scream? Kids, let me talk to you. Got some kids here? You, uh, you don't yell at your parents. You don't slam doors in the house. You don't stomp off. You don't put your earbuds in and shut them out. That's not what a godly young person does. A godly young person talks to his mom and dad, deals with mom and dad, talks to her mom and dad. If anger is your default mode, if you are the guy with the temper, you are the guy that's always angry, you need to recognize that, you need to repent of it, and you need to go and seek reconciliation with others. The problem is most of us, instead of doing that, you know what we do? We seek revenge. Seek revenge. There was a husband who said to his wife, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How do you control your anger? She said, I clean the toilet. He says, how does that help? She said, I use your toothbrush. Paul says, get rid of these things, put these things off, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Hey, you're the guy with filthy speech, your heart may not have been changed. You're the guy always raging, you're the guy talking about other people, you're the lady gossiping all the time. Has your heart been changed? Paul says, bear with one another, you bear with one another. Instead of anger, you bear with one another. The conclusion of this contention, what's quite interesting It's quite interesting. How how does all this conclude? I mean, what happens here? What what ends up there? What's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say? Well, it's quite interesting. The book of 1 Corinthians was written a number of years after Acts chapter 15. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul uses an example of one who has done well. Guess who uses that example? Barnabas. He says, is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? He's saying, you know, it's it's okay for us to be paid to do the gospel. So what that tells us is that if 1 Corinthians are written later, the Corinthians knew who Barnabas was because Paul refers to him. Paul knew what was happening in Barnabas' work. And Paul encourages the Corinthians by saying, look at Barnabas. He uses Barnabas as a positive example in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Your Bible is your app, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So what about John Mark? What happens there? I mean, picture John Mark. He's a young man. He's ready. He's packing his bags to go on the second missionary journey. His cousin Barnabas comes and says, uh, John Mark, I've got bad news. What is it, Barnabas? We're not going with Paul. Why not? Because you left the first time and Paul said, you're not welcome to come this time. But it's okay. I'm going to take you with me to Cyprus. Okay, so, so Paul, he, 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 you can't come, uh, we, we can't go with him, and I, I'm going to take you with me. And now if you were a young man, and somebody of the stature of Paul said, hey, you've washed out, you're done, how would you respond? Most folks, I submit to you, would crawl up in the fetal position and quit the spiritual life. This is the apostle Paul. John Mark can't come. But that's not what John Mark did. John Mark, we know, wrote the Gospel of Mark. 
But we also know something else about John Mark. Second Timothy is the last book that Paul writes. And so Paul is at the end of his life. In 2 Timothy 4, he tells us, look at verse 7, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith. I hope one day you can put 2 Timothy 4, 7 on my tombstone. Gary DeSalvo fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith the whole time. I pray that happens. 2 Timothy 4, 7. And so Paul's at the end, then he starts writing, you know, at the end of his books, he refers to different people and says different things about people. Well, if you drop down to verse 9, he tells Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Demas, having loved the present world, deserted me. Cretans have gone to Galatia. Titus till Dalmatia. Then look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. That's Mark. Who? Get Mark. Mark? Yeah, get Mark. I love how the New American Standard says it. It says, pick up Mark and bring him with you. He is useful to me for service. Don't you love that? I mean, don't you love that? At the end of his life, Paul says, hey, I'm by myself. I don't want to be alone. I need somebody to come alongside and minister with me. He says, he says, Timothy, come with me. And by the way, Timothy, when you're coming, would you get Mark? Because Mark has been useful for service. Do, do you see what's happening here, friends? Somewhere along the way, and we don't know the story. We don't know when it happened. We don't know how it happened. All we know is that it did happen is there was reconciliation between Paul and John Mark. <clears throat> because at the end of his life, Paul says, I need Mark. I need Mark. Send Mark to me. He's useful for service. And we have no idea when it happened, no idea how it happened. But by God's grace, we know it did happen. And there's restoration and reconciliation in this broken relationship. And that's the conclusion of that story. Now, don't we wish every broken relationship ended that way? Doesn't. Doesn't happen. So what I'd like to do is talk about the concept of forgiveness for a little while. For some of you, the wound is old. A parent abused you, neglected you, did not love you the way you needed to be loved. Maybe a teacher slighted you. Maybe a business partner left you high and dry. Maybe you and your spouse got crossways about how to parent or how to discipline the prodigal. Maybe it's about money. But there's a chasm. There's a broken relationship. Maybe it's new. Maybe your group of friends went away for spring break and you're sitting here and you're hurt. Or maybe that person that owes you money drove by in a new car and they haven't paid you a penny of what they owe you. What do you do? How does a godly person respond when they are rejected, when they are shamed, when they're humiliated, when they're hurt? What do you do? How can you forgive? Well, forgiveness is interesting. First of all, let me tell you two things forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing and forgiveness is not eliminating consequences. Forgiveness does not excuse sin and wrong. You, you, you excuse an eight-year-old boy that burps at the table. Just to have that happen. You excuse folks that accidentally leave their cell phones on in church. Once. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean excusing. Forgiveness does not mean eliminating consequences. The rapist should go to prison. The gossip should have to control their tongue. Doesn't mean eliminating consequences. But forgiveness does mean canceling a debt. It does mean canceling a debt. The, the Greek word for forgiveness occurs 140 times. I said 150 last time. It's 140 times in the New Testament. It means to send off, to send away, to let go, or to release. To let go. The act of forgiveness in its most fundamental state is letting go of our rights, our resentment, our accusations towards others. That's why Jesus could say from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness means canceling a debt. We see that played out in Matthew chapter 18. Peter comes to Christ and says, how many times should I forgive somebody? And Peter nobly says, seven times. And Jesus says, no, Peter, I say to you, not seven times, but what? 70 times seven. Did Jesus mean 490 times? Keep a journal, 491, I don't have to forgive you anymore. <laughs> no, he means you forgive over and over and over again. Then he uses a parable to illustrate his point. The parable is this. There's a slave who owes his master an insurmountable debt. In fact, if you do the math based on the current currency of today, it's about $14 million. So you know it's a parable, hyperbole, not true. But there's this guy that owes insurmountable debt. He, the master calls him in and says, you have to pay your debt. He says, I can't. Then I'm going to cast you and your family in debtor's prison. He begs for him not to do that. The master says, voila, your debt is forgiven. It's insurmountable debt is totally forgiven. That same slave ter- finds a fellow slave that owes him 30 days wages, a small amount. And he, uh, the, he tells him he needs to pay him. He says, I can't. I'm going to throw you into prison. And he does. And Jesus says, woe unto that first slave. You've been forgiven an insurmountable debt. How could you then in turn not forgive somebody what they have done to you? That's a small amount in comparison. And Jesus uses that illustration to show us that forgiveness involves canceling a debt. Secondly, forgiveness involves releasing resentment. Releasing resentment. You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph with the multicolored tunic. Joseph had a father who played favorites, and Joseph was his favorite. He had a bunch of brothers. The brothers couldn't stand them because the father played favorites, and that's a good lesson for us as parents and grandparents, not to play favorites. And so Joseph is the favored son. He is sold into slavery by his brothers. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt, and as prime minister of Egypt, he is able to save his family from famine. They survive. Eventually, daddy dies, and the brothers say, now Joseph is going to get us. He's going to get us now. I mean, we sold him into slavery. He was nice as long as daddy was alive. Daddy's done with us. And so now Joseph is going to get us. And you can see Joseph weeping when his brothers come to him, fearful of him, because Joseph had released that resentment decades before. And Joseph says, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now having done, saving the lives of many people. Joseph had released that resentment way before, and we need to release resentment as well. Some of you are carrying a ton of resentment. There are people you cannot stand. You've got so much resentment built up in your heart against an ex-spouse or an ex-employee or uh, against someone in this body or somebody uh, in the community, and you, you, just, you are burdened with resentment. You're a weighed down. If you don't let it go, it's going to eat you up. <clears throat> it will eat you up. Uh, country Western songs say most about resentment and bitterness. I mean, here are lyrics from country western songs. I've used these before. If the phone don't ring, you know it's me. Do you sense a little bitterness there? Uh, here's another one. I still miss you, baby, but my aim's getting better. <laughs> Think there's a little resentment in that lyric and that statement? Uh, here's another one. My wife ran away with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. 
<clears throat> and then uh, my favorite, I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like you're here. <laughs> Resentment and bitterness. I mean, if you latch on to unforgiveness, you, you're going to have that stuff. Return evil for evil is natural. Return good for evil is supernatural. Forgiveness involves canceling a debt, releasing resentment, seeking reconciliation. Seeking reconciliation. The scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 5, if you go to the altar and realize your brother has something against you, put down your sacrifice, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. All you can do is seek reconciliation. You cannot bring that about. Sometimes you seek reconciliation that's denied. You can't do anything about that. But the scriptures tell us you do have the responsibility to seek reconciliation whenever possible. That's your responsibility. Well, I'm not the one that did it. It doesn't say that. It says, you realize your brother has something against you. Well, I didn't offend him. Uh, I'm not the guilty one. It doesn't matter. It says, if you know your brother has something against you, go to them. Can you make reconciliation happen? No, you cannot. Should you attempt it? Yes, you should, according to the word of God. Some of you have sought reconciliation with wayward sons, daughters, husbands, wives, etc. It hasn't come about. The scriptures say you be at peace as long as possible with other folks. I sought reconciliation uh, when I was diagnosed with this almost two years ago. Now I got on my knees with a dear friend. I begin to pray, God, is there anybody I need to be reconciled to? Anybody where my heart is amiss? And two folks came to my mind. One is a, is a relative I hadn't seen in a number of years. And, and uh, by God's grace, that relative came to visit. And I went outside on, on our deck. I told Bev I need to talk to this person. And, and I started talking to this person. I said, you know, a number of years ago, this happened. Would you forgive me? And this person looks at me and says, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, well, that's God's grace. This happened. It was called to mind. Would you forgive me? I, I Sure. Non-issue. The other person was somebody that got in crossways, left TBC a number of years ago. I thought I needed to go and be reconciled. I went and, you know, not much happened, to be honest with you. As far as I know right now, I'm at peace with anybody. If we've got something between us, call me. I'll sit down with you. I'm a reasonable man. I'm a reasonable man. I I, I believe God wants us to be reconciled. I want that. I hope you want that. So if there's an issue between us, let's do it. You've got an issue with somebody? You got your pins ready? Who do you have issue with? If they're sitting next to you, don't write their name down. (laughs) See, let's be honest. Some of you have lists that are dozens deep. You're carrying baggage and burdens that you don't need to have. You sit down with the son of dawn and say, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm the mom, I'm the daddy that pops off all the time. I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? Or you need to extend forgiveness to somebody that's hurt you. As you guys know, Bev has written a book and uh, it's about her journey to healing and wholeness and it has to do with being abused by family members. I can tell you, when she dropped that burden, it freed her heart up. She did it through worship. What about you? What about you? What do you carry? What do you need to release? One author says forgiveness paves the way for reconciliation, but the two are not the same. Forgiveness is radical surgery. Reconciliation is healing after the operation. Forgiveness is canceling debt. Reconciliation puts debt-free lives back together. Forgiveness is a decision to release. Reconciliation is the effort to rejoin. Uh, Our attitude towards reconciliation may reveal our sincerity of the forgiveness that we have offered. If we say an absolute no to the possibility of resuming the relationship, we may be harboring resentment that the Holy Spirit wants to purge us of. When we forgive another person, we are entrusting that relationship to God. 
It's also remembering to forget. That's what God does for us as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our transgressions. When you begin to pray, say, God, you remember this sin? You remember this sin? He says, nope, I choose to forget it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that glorious? I don't remember that. But God, I did this against you. As far as the east is from the west, I don't remember that. And for some of us, we have buried the hatchet, but we've kept the map or we've kept the handle sticking out of the dirt. And we go back and we get it and we start hacking away again. If you choose to live in unforgiveness, you become a prisoner of your past. I've met a lot of people prisoners of the past. They live in prison cells that cannot be seen with the eyes, but they bind up the heart. They choose not to forgive and they become prisoners of their past. The scriptures say, brothers, Paul says, I, I don't consider myself having laid hold of you. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press ahead. If you walk in unforgiveness, you'll be a prisoner. When you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free. That prisoner is you, John Piper. Hey, when you want a burden to be lifted, you forgive someone who's hurt you. And you watch this burden be freed. It's amazing. I had a friend who would not speak to another man in our community for 16 years. 16 years wouldn't speak to him. They're part of the same industry, same business. They would see one another frequently. He wouldn't shake his hand. He would walk away if he came in his direction, go the opposite way. Wouldn't speak to him, not a word. He heard a message similar to this at TBC probably about 10 years ago. He was convicted. He called me and said, Gary, I made an appointment to go see this person. I'm going there to ask forgiveness. I was stunned. The person that he went to make the, first of all, the guy I made the appointment with, he didn't know if he's coming, if he's packing or what he's doing. I mean, he shows up in his office and he said, you know, God has changed my life. I started walking with Christ. My life was different. I've come to you and this happened this many years ago. I know I've offended you many times. Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And uh, it's one of those good stories. The guy said, yes, I'll forgive you. My friend on the way out happened to say, by the way, this is not about business. In fact, I don't want your business. That, that week, uh, I get three reports, and the guy who um, was there and my friend sought forgiveness from, the three reports I got was he was more impressed with not wanting his business than seeking forgiveness. And now these guys uh, are friends. They don't hang out all the time, but they're friends. They shake hands, they talk, they go to dinner. Get somebody like that in your life? brother, sister, co-worker, ex, how are you going to work it out? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. No bitter root grows up and causes trouble and defiles you. Some of you have roots of bitterness that are really deep. You're bitter. I mean, your face looks like you just sucked on a lemon. Your heart is shriveled up because you won't forgive. Don't forgive and your anger will become your burden. Don't forgive and joy will be choked out of you. Don't forgive and you'll be unable to trust anybody ever again. Don't forgive and bitterness will crowd compassion out of your heart. Don't forgive that little grudge you nurse will grow larger and stronger, although you think it can hide from everyone you know. In time, it'll become a monster of hostility and one day it'll kill you. All that'll be left of what was once a person is bitterness and hate and that bitterness will spread. 
Finally, it opens the door for Satan. Um, Satan will be, he'll, he'll exploit you if you walk in unforgiveness. You can read that passage later. A brother at war with a fellow brother or sister cannot be at peace with his father. Chuck Swindoll says, you will never forgive someone more than Christ has forgiven you. Can't happen. Rwanda. Obviously, it's been in my mind a lot. I've read multiple books about it. We just got back from there. There's a book called As We Forgive. You want to read a great book, As We Forgive. Pick it up, take a look at it. And if you don't like it, I don't know, you don't like it. There's also a movie based based on the book. In that is one of the most powerful stories of forgiveness I've ever heard. Immaculacy is a young lady. She was away at college when the genocide took place. Her mother, her father, and her two brothers were all murdered. Her two brothers were butchered. After the genocide, she found out that uh, the man who, she didn't know who it was, but the man who supposedly murdered her family was incarcerated. She went back to the city at the invitation of the burgomaster, who'd be like the, uh, the sheriff, to meet the man who destroyed her family. I pick up the story in her own writing. She said, I looked at Samana, the, uh, the burgomaster, and he looked at me and he said, would you like to meet the leader of the gang that killed your mother and your brother, father and brothers? That's why I'm here, I said. I watched as he went through the courtyard. I looked out his office window and went to the courtyard, and as he was coming back, I thought I recognized the walk and the gait of the man that was with him, but he was shriveled up and old. <clears throat> then my heart began to race. I knew who it was. It was Felician. Felician, he was a successful businessman in our town. I had played with his children in primary school. He had been a tall, handsome man who always wore nice suits and impeccable manners. I shivered because I remembered hearing his voice calling my name from the courtyard. He wanted me to come so he could kill me too, I realized. The burgomaster pushed Felician Felician into his office and threw him on the floor. His face drained when he looked at me. He quickly shifted his gaze and stared at the floor once again. He was on his hands and knees. Stand up, you killer, hollered the Bergen master. Stand up and explain to this girl why her family is dead. Tell her how you murdered her mother and father and butchered her brothers and set them on fire. Tell him. She says, my heart could not bear what I'd heard. Set him on fire. Butchered him. I looked down at this man, his emaciated body, his clothes in tatters, his face. His eyes were filmed and crusted. His handsome face was hidden behind a filthy matted beard. His bare feet had open running sores. I looked at him and I wept. I knew the devil had entered his heart. And the evil that he had done had ruined his life and my life was a cancer in his soul. He looted your parents' home. He murdered your folks. He butchered your brothers. What do you have to say to him? What do you want to tell him? I looked at him. And the only words that could come out of my mouth were these words. I forgive you. Forgive him, shouted the burgomaster. Tell him what you think. 
through a veil of tears, his and mine. I turned to the Burgomaster and I said, forgiveness is all I have to offer. You know, some of you have been hurt deeply, been rejected, abused, shamed, humiliated. Life has not gone the way you thought it could, should. You haven't achieved, you haven't accomplished. You've been set aside for another, you've been hurt. You've experienced pain, maybe not to this depth, but your pain is just as real. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to build up resentment and live in anger and bitterness? Or are you going to release it to the Father and walk in His grace? The choice, it's yours right now. Father, help us to be doers and not just hearers of the word. Some of us need to leave this place and make some phone calls or maybe sitting here with someone, husband or a wife or a friend, kids. Extend forgiveness and seek forgiveness. For some of us, we need to go visit someone. Jesus, you took the pain and agony of the world and those at the foot of the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. There are those who knew what they did and hurt us. God, we're not going to excuse that. And we're not going to eliminate consequences. But as far as possible, we're going to be at peace with all men. For some of you, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you may think, this is the most ridiculous message I've ever heard. Forgive someone who's hurt me. Until you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, you'll never understand forgiving others. And so I invite you to experience the forgiveness that Jesus offers you today, accepting him as your Savior. And if you know him as Savior, I pray you'll leave this place you'll walk in forgiveness with everyone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.